Alright, Luke chapter 2, let's start with verse number 1, and then like I said, we're going to fast forward down a little bit in a second. So it starts off like this, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and the tax, this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great the child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of joy, which shall be to all people. Uh, and now we will do the fast forward part. Let's also look all the way down later on in this chapter here, all the way down to verse number uh, 36, 36, three verses over here in verse 36. And there is one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's pray before we look at today's verses. Dear God, we thank you for this Christmas season that we have to honor, glorify, and remember you to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Beauty now as I try to talk a little bit about his birth and stories related to that, and may your message be spoken through me to this audience right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you've been at church recently, you've heard quite a few Christmas messages, right? You heard Nathan talk a little bit about this, and so on. And if you remember Nathan, he went through this long thing, right? Where he quizzed the whole audience, right? Everybody, oh, who is the one that glorified the birth of Jesus, right? And everyone gave their millions of answers that, oh, the wise men did, right? The angels praised Jesus. Mary prays for the birth of Jesus. Joseph prays for the birth of Jesus, right? Went through a long, long, long list. All the characters, practically, right? He even talked about someone in verse 34, which you didn't read, which was Simeon, right? And he told you about how Simeon was this old guy, right? This old guy that finally saw, when he saw Jesus, he took the attitude like, wow, it's a, uh, I can finally die now in peace because I've seen the Savior, right? That's how, 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 how he felt when he finally saw Jesus, the baby Jesus at that time, right? Going to the temple, he was going to the temple back, you know, back in those early days, right after he was born, for some kind of ceremony. So, you know, originally I thought, ah, I, when I was thinking about this message, like months ago, I said, maybe I'll talk about that guy, right? And then that'll be an interesting message no one had heard before. But then Nathan went ahead and go and went to go talk about him, right? 
So, you know, Al kind of stole some of the thunder, so I'm not going to talk about him today. But as he went through that long list of all these people of who praised uh, God for the birth of Jesus, I was able to figure out at least one name that he did not mention, right? And one name he didn't mention is the one we read in the fast-forward verses over here, right? These verses at the end in verse 36, 37, 38, and that name is Anna. Anna, right? Probably very few people of you have ever heard of Anna and don't associate Anna with a Christmas story at all, right? There's no Christmas songs about Anna. There's no movies about her, right? It's like, oh, how does Anna fit into the story of the birth of Christ. So we'll talk a little bit about that here today. So who is Anna? Why is she in the story? Right? Right here in the middle of the Bible. Must mean something. Right? Must mean something. So it says here that there was one Anna, a prophetess. You know, that's a rare thing, right? There's not that many prophetesses in the Bible. Right? Most of the times we hear about our prophets. Right? Male prophets. Right? So she's a prophetess. Right? Daughter of Phanuel, it says, right? And of great age at that time. But a little bit about her backstory, right? In verse 36, it says, She had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, back then, in the olden days of 2,000 years ago, what age did people get married? I think most times, people got married when they were teenagers, right? Different than nowadays, right? Nowadays, people get married in their 20s. Some of us even 30s, right? You know, that's different now, right? But back then, it was like, hey, you are a teenager, 15, 16 years old, you better get married soon, right? If you're like, what, 19, 20, you could be old, believe it or not, right? I guess people live shorter too, right? When you're only expecting to live up to 50, you have 20, hey, I've lived 40% of my life already, right? So, it says that she was married and had a husband for seven years. So let's imagine that. That's like, let's say she got married at age 16, pretend, right? And married for seven years, married until she was 23. And then what? Verse 37 says, she was a widow. So her husband died. Her husband died, and after that, she was a widow. How long was she a widow for? Well, it says in this verse, right? The verse before it says that she was of a... You know, she's old, right? How old was she? In 37, it says she was four score and four years. Four score and four years. You work out that math, it means that she's 84 years old. So how long was she a widow? We don't know exactly, but let's estimate. If she, like I said, got married for seven years, got widowed after that, about age 23, she's a widow for some 61 years. It's a long time. 61 years a widow, and what did she do during that time? Well, something interesting, something atypical, I think. In verse 37, it says, She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Right? So a lot of people, you would think, Oh, you're a widow now, but you're only 23. you got a whole life ahead of you. You can go get remarried, start a new life. You could go back to get a job and work and have a life like that. What's the choice that she made? Her choice was that she was going to stay in the temple. How long in the temple? Not just, oh, I'm going to go visit it now and then. 
She lived there. It says she was there day and night. And it's true that way back when in the olden days that there were some people that lived at the temple. There was housing around the temple in that area. Of course, most people living around there were like staff and stuff, right? But she was there day and night, all the time, at the temple. What was she doing? Serving God with fasting and prayer. Taking time to pray, taking time to fast. She was your quintessential, stereotypical prayer warrior. We talk about that a lot nowadays, right? That, that, that's, that's the saying people use nowadays. Oh, you're a prayer warrior, right? Someone we turn to to pray for stuff, right? When something needs to be prayed for. Well, this was like one of the original ones, right? That she was there all the time, doing nothing but that, right? Praying, fasting, praying, fasting. Now, you can imagine that one of the things she's praying fasting for probably has to do with like people's needs and stuff. That's pretty normal, right? Like, oh, so-and-so's sick. So-and-so needs money. So-and-so has this problem in their life. You can imagine people turn to her all the time to pray for that. But also, the fact that she'd be so devout. Obviously, she's devout. You spend 60 years of your life doing something, right? 60 plus years of your life doing something. You have to be devout. You have to have a strong faith. It means that she really believed and bought into the Jewish faith, right? That would only make sense. Why else would you hang out at the Jewish temple all day long if you didn't believe in what they were teaching there? And as we know, or as we should know, if you read your Bible on that, what do they teach in the temple all the time? What do they still teach in the temples of the Jewish faith today? They teach about the coming Messiah, right? They teach about how, yes, you know, we are God's people and we're getting ready for the day when God returns to earth, right? And he's coming and we'll be ready. He's going to save us. He's our new king. So I think she obviously really, really, really believed that, right? Why else would you stay there for 60 years, day and night? And here's the thing. We talk about the Christmas story and the Christmas season. It's such a big thing nowadays, right? If you can't think of the biggest holiday of the year, the number one is Christmas, right? It's a whole season. Lasts for a whole month. The retailers spend their whole year planning for Christmas, right? This is their biggest sale, the biggest deal. It's kind of surprising that if you think all the way back to the time of Anna, Christmas, Jesus, the story we read at the very outset, at the start of chapter 2, was an obscurity. It was unknown, unthought of. Kind of strange to think about it now that it's so ubiquitous, right? So everywhere. But think about this way. We read right at the start of chapter 2, it talks about the reign of Caesar Augustus, the days of the Roman Empire. And folks, if you remember anything from your high school history, ever, you know the Roman Empire was big, had millions of people living in it, right? 2,000 years ago, there were millions of people living in the Roman Empire. And then, if you think about all the other places on earth 2,000 years ago, you guys who know your Chinese history know that there were millions of people living in China back then, right? And there are people living in North America, South America, people living in Africa. And guess what? All these people, none of them were Jews, or almost none of them were Jews. 
Almost none of them had ever read the Holy Scriptures. They didn't know what the prophets said. They didn't know about Messiah. Messiah is like a question word. Like, what does on earth does that mean, right? You said to them, who, how, what, I don't know. Right? Out of that whole world back then, out of the millions and millions of people that in that world that were alive, the people that knew about the coming Messiah probably were all concentrated right in Israel. Probably like what? A million people maximum? I don't know how many Jews were alive back then, right? They were the Jews, and they, for the most part, the ones that knew about all these prophecies and all these uh, foretellings of coming saviors. But, but, but also this. You guys who follow along with my Sunday school know this. What was happening in the previous 700 years before the birth of Christ? It was a time of all like the minor prophets and all those other apostasies, right? Remember, during those couple hundred years beforehand, we've had literally a couple hundred years of Israel turning their back on God. Saying, yeah, I know, I hear you talk about this Messiah, coming Messiah in the future or whatever, but you know what? I don't care. I want to worship this other God. I want to do my thing. I like this worship better. I like this rules better. God, your rules are too restrictive. I want to have my own thing. Folks, we know that Israel fell way, way, way off their path during those hundreds of years. To the point where I would bet although we don't have statistics because people didn't take statistics back then, right? I would bet that the percentage of Jews that actually were devout, like Anna, that would go to the temple all the time, pray all the time, and know in their heart about Jesus, the coming Savior, probably teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny amount of people that would even be aware of such a thing or care about such a thing. And it's no surprise then, no surprise then that when we look at the Jesus story, the birth of Jesus story, it is in an obscure place in front of obscure people. Right? Bethlehem is a nothing town. What is Bethlehem famous for? I don't know. The only thing I know about Bethlehem is Jesus was born there. Right? It's not like New York City. You could probably name ten different things that's famous about New York City. Right? Bethlehem, I only know one thing. It's a nothing town. Even today, I think pretty much it's a nothing town. It's a tourist trap, right? I can't think of any famous industry or famous landmark otherwise that's there, right? It's a nothing town. He was born there. He was born there and is greeted not by, you know, kings and uh, celebrities and all these things like that who are the first people to come to Jesus after his birth? Just shepherds. Nobody shepherds, right? You know, nowadays, when, you know, uh, uh, some celebrity has a baby, it's bigger news than that, right? People care a lot more about, you know, Kim Kardashian's baby than they would about the son of some random uh, uh, carpenter and his wife in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It would be no news. No news except for God. You see, we read these verses. God sent these angels to proclaim his birth. They proclaimed his birth to all men. But the ones that heard him, like we said, were these shepherds that came first and foremost to honor the birth of Christ. So from this very humble beginning, 
from this nothing beginning. There's no one, this little baby that did not even have a bed, right? Can you imagine that? No bed, but a manger. I can't even imagine that. Some, a lot of you guys here are parents today, right? You guys have had babies. You guys know what it's like. When we had our, our first baby, Samantha, right? Before she was born, some other parent told me, oh, you know, when you got a baby, you can, uh, you know, they're really small. They can't fit in the big crib yet. What you can do is you can pull out a drawer, right, that you're not using. You put some towels on the bottom. You stick your little baby in the drawer. And there's your baby bed, right? Nice and easy, right? You got it for a few months. They outgrow it. Then you stick them in the big crib. And so I thought about that. And I was like, I don't want to stick my baby in a drawer, right? Oh, that sounds horrible, right? So, you know, I got suckered in. Elaine and I got suckered in. We paid big bucks. I think it cost $40. We bought a real bassinet, right? So my baby can sleep on a premium thing, right? A $40 bassinet, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, for, you know, three months until they outgrow it and they sleep in the big crib, right? But think about it. Every parent, every parent would want what's best for their kid, right? Say, like, oh, this is my baby. I'm not going to let a, my baby sleep in a drawer, right? That's natural. Yet, Jesus' family, who presumably, we're going to assume, loved him just as much, had to put him, had nowhere else to put him, right? You figured they would do the best. Whatever it is, you find the best for your kid. And the best they could find was a simple manger. And so it was that amongst the, uh, amongst all the animals in the stable, amongst all the animals in the stable, that Jesus was placed down on the manger bed, right? Sure, today in the 21st century, you'd be like, oh my goodness, there's poop in there, right? There's animal germs in there. Who wants their baby in there, right? But that's all they had. That's all they had. And that was Jesus' beginning, right? The humblest of beginnings, the lowest of beginnings, the smallest of beginnings. So how did this baby go from being poor, born in a nowhere town, acknowledged by no one, to becoming celebrated? Right? When he went in that temple and Anna saw him, what was her reaction? Her reaction was, in verse 38, she immediately came in and gave thanks. And what did she do after she gave thanks? She was so thankful to see Jesus. And afterwards, it says what? It says, didn't say that she would continue to pray and fast. It's in verse 38. She spake of him to all that looked for redemption. She started sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Why is it? Why is it? How did it go from Jesus, the seeming nobody, to Jesus, the biggest holiday of the year? Think about this way. How many holidays in the United States, federal holidays, are given to the birthday of a person? Like a one person. I can name them all for you. There's only three. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is in January. Columbus Day, which is in October. And Christmas, the federal holiday of Christmas, which celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ. That's it. 
There's no other holiday for any other famous people in United States history. You say, oh, Abraham Lincoln was a great guy. Wasn't he wonderful? Well, you got to share your holiday with all the other presidents, right, on President's Day, right? Or whoever else, or Harriet Tubman, you know, free the slave, sorry. No holiday for you, right? Just Jesus is up there. How did he make it up there? How did he make it that everybody praises him when they sees him, right? That Simeon praised him. Anna praised him. The angels praise him. How do you make it that even today we honor him with the whole season? Folks, it's very simple. It has nothing to do with his birth. It has everything to do with his life. You see, when the angels proclaimed in that verse we read, that they bring good tidings of great joy, right? Peace and goodwill to all men. Those, those sayings. All that came from one person. That person is Jesus Christ. And folks, it was through his life that made the difference. What did Jesus do? You see, Jesus was God's son. God's own son born in the flesh according to all these words of the prophets that people like Anna have been waiting for all these years. Jesus, born of a virgin, right here, with us on earth. He knew this. He knew that all of us could not meet God in heaven because we have sinned. None of us. Because we know as a fact all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. I'm no exception. You're no exception. We've all done everything under the sea. We've lied, steal, cheated, right? You name it, I've done it. Probably you've done it too. We're not innocent. We can't go before God and say, God, I'm the perfect man. But you know who the perfect man was? Jesus Christ. He did live the perfect life because he was God's son. He lived the sinless life. In the 30 some odd years he was on earth, he never lied, sealed, cheated, murdered, killed, did any of that stuff. He lived that perfect life. Why? He had to. Because in God's plan, he knew that it wasn't going to be that we're going to face the punishment for our sins and face everlasting damnation in hell. No. He loved us. That's why the angels were praising and saying, here comes peace and goodwill. That's why Anna was thankful immediately when she saw him. And she knew that this is a message that had to be shared. Because he came to be our Savior from our sins. By living his perfect life, he could trade his perfection for our flaws. That's what a substitute is, isn't it? He was here to take our place. Me, Norman Lau, a horrible sinner, a do-nothing-good guy, a horrible person, all you guys in the audience and all your horrible bad deeds, taken away through the goodness of one man. One man willing to sacrifice his life, the blameless Jesus who said, yes, I will die on the cross for you, 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 even all of you that haven't even been born yet. That's the love of Jesus. The love that spans not just for one year or one decade, spans for centuries. Love that knows no bounds. Love for all of us 
to save us from hell. The gift of Jesus Christ of Christmas. You see, Jesus Christ offered himself up as the greatest Christmas gift ever given. That through his death, our sins could be forgiven by God himself. That we could live his perfect life instead of our imperfect life. And he proved this is true by after being killed, raising himself from the dead three days later as a witness to everybody that yes, I am Jesus, I was a man and I died, but I'm also God and I do have the power to forgive sin and I do have the power to conquer death. death. Look what I did. Folks, that's the message of Jesus. That's the message that's resonated through the many years that started with people like Anna, even after he was born, starting to speak that message. That Jesus, after he had done his ministry, that his followers spread that message. That's the message that spread through the years and years and years. The message of hope and peace and love through one man alone, through Jesus Christ. And it's through our faith in him, our simple faith in him, that we get all those blessings just like that. It's so simple. It's so, so, so simple. God didn't make it hard on us, right? It's not a tough gift. You know, we just had Christmas, my kids, I tell them all this stuff like, hey, you got to be good or else I'm not going to give you the present, right? You know, God didn't do that to us. He didn't say, you got to be good or else you don't get the present. He said, everyone gets the present. I only ask one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. That you believe in my son, Jesus Christ. Is that a hard task? I don't think so. Is it a hard task to get the greatest gift of all time? The gift of everlasting life. The gift of having a heavenly father watching over us day and night. I don't think so. What I'm most thankful for in, my, in this Christmas season is not all the decorations and the presents and the gatherings with family. Although I love all those things, just like you love all those things. What I'm most thankful for is that I have a Savior. That I have Jesus Christ on my side. That I have Him to take away my sins. That I can sing with those angels, praise be to God for Jesus. That I can proclaim like Anna, praise be to God for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. And I hope everyone in this audience here can say this Christmas season that yes, me too, I can say thank you God. I'm so glad, glad I have Jesus in my heart. I'm so glad I have the peace that I have you watching over me all the time. I'm so glad you saved me from my sins so that I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Right now, I'm going to end off with a little prayer. But let me say this. Dear friend, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ yet, if you haven't told God, yes, I believe, I'm going to give everyone right now a chance to do that right now just by repeating the simple prayer from your heart right now. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. So, dear God, if we... Oh, if our friends here in this audience here, anyone here wants to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and put their faith in you, please repeat this prayer right now silently from your heart. Dear God, please look at my heart. I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong. You know, God, I know I deserve to be punished for all my sins. But God, I thank you so much 
for Jesus. God, I want to trust Jesus right now. Jesus, who died on the cross to save me from all of my sins. God, look at my heart one more time. I really want Jesus to save me from my sins. And I really want to thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says in God's Word, the Bible, if you said that prayer and you've professed your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ, that you, my friend, are saved and have a home for yourself, everlasting home in heaven. And that, friends, is why the message spread from just one baby in the middle of nowhere to a message that is now global, everywhere, everyone knowing. Folks, the whole world wouldn't celebrate Christmas and dedicate all this time and honor, him, honor this day, celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ if it weren't true, would it? Would everybody spend millions and billions of dollars on this day? Of course not. It's because we have a real Savior and a real faith that we can trust in, that we have this wonderful, joyous Christmas season. All right, so that's my message for today.